It was a night unlike any other. There was a stillness in the air, quiet calm in the evening sky. Grace was on the horizon, an unfathomable mercy, a love deeper than anyone had ever known. This silent night was about to give way to a chorus which would change the world forever. For on this day, in the city of David, is born a Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word in flesh. God had reached down from heaven to earth to draw us to himself, to make a way, to bring us home. Today, the heart of God is on full display. For God so loved the world. Uh, most nativity plays, if you've ever been to one in a church, and perhaps you have, most nativity plays start out with a great deal of hope, don't they? Uh, they usually start out with a lot of smiles, a little bit of glitter, a lot of carols, and parents hoping that their children don't throw up on the platform. As we come to the real Christmas story, the story that we find in the text of Scripture, we find something quite different. In fact, as we come to the Gospels, we realize that the Christmas story begins with scandal and shame and shock. Here's the scandal. Mary was an ordinary teenage girl living in a nothing town called Nazareth. She was probably 14 or 15, don't worry. That was fairly normal for that society at that time. And, and she was engaged to be married. Do you know how the story goes? But before Joseph touched her, she became pregnant. And it was a scandal. Now today, that might prompt the local ladies to spill the tea at their next social gathering, right? But then, it was hugely scandalous. They took marriage very seriously in Israel. You just need to read the Old Testament to find that out. And something like this would have been considered adultery. And sometimes, adultery could get you stoned to death. And so that's what Mary faced. I mean, Joseph, Joseph's a great guy, but he could have walked away from all of this. Really, he could have walked away and started over. But Mary, she carried this scandal. It wasn't just the dirty looks and a bit of gossip. It was the, perhaps a lifetime of struggles that she was facing, and even loneliness, and even the real possibility of death. They don't often mention that in the nativity plays, but it's very much part of the original story. Well, here's the shame. Imagine being Joseph. Imagine being engaged and discovering that your fiance is pregnant and it wasn't you. That's a lot of shame to carry. That's what Joseph did carry. It seems like Mary had decided to step out on Joseph and sleep with someone else. 
And you can imagine amongst the family and amongst the friends that would be close to the story, how, how the talk would go, right? It's amazing that Joseph was prepared to split up with Mary quietly, to not draw attention to her, to not put her in the place of shame. And it's amazing to me that Joseph, even though he fades from the story as the story goes on, it amazes me that Joseph stood by Mary all along. So that's the scandal, and that's the shame. But here's the shock. The shock is that all of this was God's plan. That's shocking to us. That all of this, the burdens that Joseph and Mary bore in all of this, was part of God's plan. I don't know how you imagine God. Maybe you don't imagine God at all. Maybe God is the furthest thought from your mind in an everyday scenario. Maybe you imagine God as some old guy sitting upstairs with a big stick, ready to whack you if you step out of line. Maybe that's God for you. I don't know. Maybe God is just some amazingly powerful force that has better things to do than to look at our puny little lives. Maybe God is the flying spaghetti monster. There's actually a whole religion around that. But here's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one who gets involved with us. One who turns lives upside down. The God of the Bible who is one who doesn't act as we would expect him to act. The God of the Bible is one who uses the so-called weak things of the world to upset the powerful. And that's what's happening in the story of Mary and Joseph. But this is also God who becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. God who becomes flesh and lives among us. And that's the big shock of the story. It's not so much that a teenage girl got pregnant, that might be shocking to some, or that the father wasn't her fiance. It's not that this young man decided to stick by uh, this pregnant girlfriend, even though he wasn't the father. The shock is that the baby, as the passage was read for us, will be called the Son of God. That's the biggest shock of the Christmas story. I mean, there certainly was a lot of scandal around the life of Jesus. There was scandal even before he was born. Here at Bonavista Baptist Church, the last number of Sundays, we've been looking at the people in the family heritage of Jesus, in his family tree. And there's a number of women that are uh, listed in that family tree. Tamar, and Rahab, and Ruth, and Bathsheba, and each and every one of them, strong women, strong women who are remembered for their faith and tenacity, were also women around which a lot of scandal revolved. And so there's a lot of scandal in the family tree of Jesus, and there's scandal in his birth. We've already talked about Mary and her pregnancy. And there's scandal in his life. Jesus broke the rules. He healed on the Sabbath. He ate with sinners. He touched the lepers. And it was scandalous to many. And there was even scandal in his death because it was thought that anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. How could this be the savior of the world? So there's scandal all over the story. But the greatest scandal that people had to deal with was that Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. 
In John chapter 10, Jesus compares himself to the good shepherd of Israel, which is just an outrageous kind of claim. And as he compares himself to the shepherd of Israel, John says this, that the opponents of Jesus picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works for my father. For which one of these do you stone me? And they said, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's the scandal of the Christmas story. That's what we have to be confronted with. I mean, there's a lot of good things, a lot of things that we can celebrate, a lot of things we can get excited about. But at some point, we have to wrestle with this claim that Jesus is God in the flesh. So how do we respond to this? Well, this is where Mary helps us a lot. As we look at the life of Mary, we discover that her response can also be our response to this claim. In fact, Mary, and it's interesting to me, is the, the only one who is with Jesus at his birth and also at his death. Did you realize that? And Mary is actually with Jesus all throughout his ministry. And even after his resurrection, Mary is still with the disciples waiting in the upper room for the Spirit to come. Mary is there all the way along. And she moves from being his mother to becoming his disciple. I remember there was a great day when I was about 17 years old. I was working at McDonald's in Kelowna, and my mom applied for a job. <laughs> and I got to do the interview, and I became her boss. <laughs> she was an unruly worker. She worked in the lobby, and she kept bringing people home who were destitute and in trouble. <laughs> but it's interesting to see Mary's journey, isn't it? from being Mary, the mother of Jesus, to become Mary, the disciple of her own son, and following Jesus. So what does Mary do for us? Well, Mary invites us to at least three things. First of all, this. Mary invites us to curiosity. I love this about Mary. When the angels come, her first response is, how? How can this be possible? How can this be? She asks questions. And as people and more and more people come and, uh, and bow down in front of Jesus and bring him gifts, it says that Mary stores all these things up in her heart and ponders them. Uh, she wonders, what does all this mean? So Mary invites us to curiosity, and maybe that's where you're at this morning. Don't just disregard the story. Don't cast it aside. At the very least, be curious. Ask the questions. And that's what Mary invites us to do. But Mary also invites us to something further, to obedience. It's interesting, one of my favorite stories uh, in the early life of Jesus is when he's at a wedding, and he's at the wedding in Cana with his mom and probably some of his disciples. And what happens? Anybody remember? They run out of wine. And Mary goes to some of the guys and says, look, my son's been working on some of these wine kits at home. And he's, uh, he's got pretty good at, no, he does, she doesn't say that. What she says to them is, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I love that. Mary invites us to obedience. What is the greatest thing that Jesus is asking us to do? Love one another. Maybe that's the point of connection in the story for you today is Jesus is inviting you and me 
to obey. And by obey, I mean to love, <laughs> to love one another. So curiosity and obedience, but ultimately, I think Mary invites us to this. Mary invites us to worship. That's Mary's posture from the beginning to the end, from when she hears the, the angel's announcement right until she's meeting with the disciples with prayer after the resurrection. <laughs> it's great to have the sound effects in today. <laughs> Mary invites us to worship. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary invites us to worship in this Christmas season because Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. So the original Christmas story might have come with a fair bit of scandal, maybe some surprise and shock for people. But it also comes with a lot of gifts, the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love. And so may the example of Mary today lead us to curiosity and obedience and even worship. Amen.